Hello. When this episode releases for the first time, it will be Thanksgiving Day here in the United States. And I hope that wherever you are in the United States or around the world, that this truly will be a day of delight, of abundance, of joy, and of peace, and of thanksgiving for you. You know, sometimes we learn best how to do something by learning how not to do it. You've seen the videos probably of someone who's trying to carve a turkey only to have it fly off the platter and land on the floor, where the dog is just very happily waiting to take a big chomp out of that. Or you bite into someone's pumpkin pie and ask for the recipe because you want to make sure you never make a pie like that in your life. Well, today I'm going to focus on who you would not want to invite to Thanksgiving. Stay tuned. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. Since we are all honest people around here, right? Yes, we tell the truth. There is probably someone, maybe several someones, that you do not want to be around at Thanksgiving and maybe not any other time of the year. I get that. I also hope that I'm never that person that other people are like, oh my goodness, do we have to invite her? I hope I don't fall into that category ever. But then there are those people that we are so delighted to be able to spend time with. We can't wait to gather with them. And oftentimes that's family around holidays. And I know that that there's no group of people that is ever going to have more friction as a general rule, certainly there are exceptions, than family. Why? Because closeness breeds awareness, and with awareness, we have more of an understanding of people's flaws and failures and idiosyncrasies, and it's just more possibility for us to, to have conflict. But also within family, there is the greatest possibility to have deep, close, meaningful relationships that can turn into friendships that you have for your entire life. So wherever you fall on the spectrum with your entire family or with certain individuals, there's probably people in addition to your family that you would love to be able to invite to gather around your table because you would like to be able to say to them, hey, I want to take this chance to say thank you for the impact that you've had in my life. And then there are those people that you are so glad are not seated around your table. They would be the last people that you would want to invite to voluntarily spend a holiday with. Well, there's a person in the Bible that we don't normally associate with Thanksgiving, but I'm going to talk about him today. And one of the reasons I'm going to talk about him is because honestly, I can relate to this guy more than I want to admit. Who is this mystery man? He's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he has an entire book dedicated to him. 
and his name is Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and he was given a very clear directive by God that he was to go to this ancient city of Nineveh. This was not a Jewish city. This was a foreign city, and he was to carry this divine message to these people. He does not want to go. Have you ever had a direction from God, either something specific to you or something that you can see in Scripture, and you're just like, mm, sorry, God, that's really not my thing. I don't want to do that. Let's, let's look up another plan. Well, that was Jonah's mentality. It was like, no, thank you, God, not really on this with you. And so he decides that he is going to go, and he's going to get on a ship, and he is going to get out of the entire area. I don't really know why Jonah felt like he had to actually flee the um, the nation of, of Israel. Um, he could have just stayed where he was and said, no, God, I, I don't think so. No, thank you. But he takes this to a whole new level. It's as if he's going to escape God because God's geographical boundaries ended by at the borders of the nation of Israel. I'm not sure exactly what his thinking was, but and maybe the fact is he wasn't thinking at all. Maybe he was so stirred up emotionally that he just reacted rather than acted. Hate to say, but I can relate too well to that as well. Now, it's, it's easy to be hard on Jonah unless we understand the city of Nineveh. This wasn't a city that was just filled with people who were simply non-Jewish and who worshipped idols. Even by the standards of the ancient world, which, which our modern word barbaric wouldn't even come close to capturing, Nineveh was seen as being the ultimate in its cruelty. It was known for its human sacrifices and its brutal torture. When it conquered a people, it didn't just go in and conquer the land. It terrorized its enemies. And not just its enemies, but even people within the own city with the, the religious practices and the cult practices that they had. And again, torture, human sacrifice, killing, all of it. This, this city was beyond the scope of what we would even normally think of in terms of evil. They weren't just bowing down to idols that were made of gold and silver or wood. They weren't just um, having these practices in their temples, even of temple prostitution, although there was plenty of that. These were practices like, we're going to skin you alive, not figuratively, but literally. Understanding that can clue us in a little bit more about Jonah's fear being legitimate. He wasn't just refusing to go because he had some sort of racial prejudice. He was terrified of the savagery which awaited him. I mean, think about this just from a rational standpoint. You're going to show up in what is known as the most cruel city and people of its time, and not just by your own nation's standards, but by the standards of the known world at the time, 
and you're going to deliver this divine message, which is repent because God's going to wipe you out. Okay, there's no, hey, God loves you. He cares about you. He wants to transform you. That was not the message that he was sent with. The message he was sent with was to say, you need to repent. You need to change your ways because otherwise the divine almighty God has slated you to be totally wiped out and destroyed. How well was that going to go over? So Jonah takes off in the opposite direction of where he is supposed to be going. And, and we pretty familiar with the story. He boards the ship and then the, the ship hits this terrible storm at sea and it becomes so bad that the sailors are like, this has to be a storm of divine proportions and God's one of the gods is angry with us and because of somebody that's on this ship. And so they go through this process and it comes out to be Jonah. And Jonah's like, throw me overboard. And even then, these people who were not God followers still had enough of, of God's conscience within him that they, they hesitated. They weren't like, okay, well, we'll just throw this guy overboard and then we'll sail on. But finally, it became apparent that that's what they were going to have to do. And so Jonah is heaved overboard. He is swallowed by this great fish. And then later, he spit up on the dry ground. Now, if you happen to think, okay, that's just all a fairy tale, there actually is some incidents in fairly modern history of that happening to people. And so you can look that up and you can read about that. No, it's not something that happens all the time. And I'm not talking about some tabloid story, but there have been a couple of documented incidents where that actually happened to people and they survived. So it's not as far-fetched as one might actually think. Anyway, back to the story. At this point, Jonah decides, okay, God, it's pretty clear that you are intent on me carrying out this mission. So fine. If you're a parent, have you ever had a kid that you gave an instruction to and they were like, fine, I'll go do what you said. Okay, I've had that. And it's one of those times where they outwardly go and carry out the instruction, but you know that internally they are angry with you the entire time. Well, that's exactly what happens here with Jonah. He goes and he carries out the letter of the mission, but the spirit of it to, to have a compassion and an empathy for these people and to call them to repentance, he does not have. So he shows up in this city and he starts delivering his message, probably thinking at any moment he's going to be picked up and he's going to be subjected to sadistic torture and probably going to have his life snuffed out after how many hours or days of torture. But that doesn't happen. God sovereignly protects him. And not only does God protect him, but God moves. And these people whose hearts he knew actually repent. Jonah is not happy about this. Jonah has been rooting for the wipe him out, destroy him, kill him, just get rid of him, God, plan. 
But God's plan was compassion and kindness that leads to repentance. And that's an important point for us to understand. Um, I know how much I have been guilty of this in my life, and that is confusing compassion with indulgence or empathy with the lack of appropriate boundaries. And so compassion, the Bible tells us, though, is always designed to lead someone to repentance when they are doing what's wrong. It's not to make excuses for them or to indulge them or to, um, to cater to them in any way. So God's kindness and compassion here for these people doesn't say, oh, it's okay. He doesn't minimize their, their sin. He doesn't look over it. He doesn't excuse it. But what he does is he calls them to turn from their ways. Jonah, who has been the recipient of God's mercy and grace, the very same God, the very same mercy, the very same grace, the very same compassion, is ticked off. There is no Thanksgiving celebration going on here uh, from Jonah, not at all. So what he does, he's like, okay, I've showed up. I've delivered my message. I'm out of here. So he goes to a nearby hillside far enough away that he's hoping when God comes down and destroys this city, he is going to get to sit there and he is going to watch firsthand these people get their just desserts. He doesn't just deliver the message and then go home. Why is he sitting up here on this this hillside outside of the city? He wants to watch these people get their, what we might used to say, comeuppance. He wants to see God's vengeance taken out on them. But that is not what happens. What God does do is he causes this vine to grow with extraordinary rapidity so that Jonah's makeshift shelter that he's built there to sit and watch these people, you know, finally get there, um, get wiped out. And, and it's hot up there. And so God makes this vine to grow and it covers it. It's kind of like a uh, divine green roof and it provides this shade. And it's so interestingly that it says when that shade comes up, that vine comes up and it provides all this shade that Jonah was exceedingly glad not just kind of, sort of happy. He was exceedingly glad. He had shade. Yes, he had his comfort. He could now not only sit there and watch the city get wiped out, he could sit there in the shade and have cold temperatures and be comfortable watching the city get wiped out. Well, that's the kind of gratitude that comes easy. Give me what I want, make me comfortable, and I'll be happy and I'll be grateful. And I'd like to say, oh, that's just about Jonah, but the reality is that's applicable for all of us. Well, what happens with Jonah is that the circumstances change because then God sends a worm who has a voracious appetite and that worm decides it's going to eat this vine and it does with great rapidity. And what happens is Jonah is back in the hot sun. And what's his attitude? He's ticked off. I wonder if Jonah went searching for the critter that was trying to eat this root and, and kill it. You know, were they having this, you know, hide and seek game or whatever? 
or did the the worm just come in and eat it so fast in a certain part that the whole vine died? I don't know about that. What I do know is this. Jonah is so upset and ticked off about this, and he and God, so to speak, get into it. Now, I have to say here, I admire this about Jonah. He's got spunk. He doesn't try to hide his feelings from God. I mean, I suppose if you have been trying to hide your body from God and you wind up in the digestive system of a great fish, that might cure you of the notion that hiding from the creator is not in your best interest. And what's interesting is God doesn't get angry with Jonah's discourse. When Jonah comes back to him and basically is saying, God, this is not fair. You, you are too kind and too merciful. These people do not deserve your grace, your kindness, your compassion. They deserve to be wiped out. God comes back with a gentle response. And he says to, to Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't even know their right hand from their left. And besides that, there's a lot of cows in that city as well. And no, I'm not making up the whole cattle thing. That's in the Bible. You can go look that up. You know, what God was saying here, it was saying, Jonah, there are 120, more than 120,000 people in this city and they are so ignorant. They don't even know their right hand from their left. They are wallowing in ignorance. And and I'm supposed to be so quick to overlook that and to wipe them out? Plus, all the animals there that I love, that I created? Well, that's where the whole story ends. I mean, it's like, what? Wait a minute. Where's the denouement? Where's the resolution, the happy ending? You know, where's Jonah, you know, taking apart his shelter and plodding back down the mountain and having a change of heart and slapping people on the back and saying, welcome, where's, where's the nearest water source? I can baptize all of you. That is not what happens. The city does not go up in flames. And Jonah, we don't really know what happened. Did he stick around and tell the people how then they were to move forward in obedience to God? Does he get up and destroy his shelter in a fit of rage and say, that's it? Okay, fine, you do you, God, but I'm going home. Does he go back to his country changed and grateful for such unfathomable grace? I don't know. This story doesn't, doesn't really wrap up with this nice bow. We don't know. But what we do know is this, that gratitude requires action to be made real. Gratitude, like love, is not just a feeling. You know, today we're having a, a break from our normal study that we've been doing, which has been in the book of John these last several weeks. And one of the things that we have been looking at is that Jesus says repeatedly, if you love me, you will keep my words. In other words, you cannot separate your feelings and your, your commitments from your actions. They're all part of the same package. And gratitude 
just like love, we can't say, oh, I feel so grateful. I feel so much love. I feel, I feel, I feel. Okay, yeah, what are you doing to actually demonstrate that in life? And if we don't look at what we're doing, not to win God's love, but because in response to that and with gratitude for that, then we can become deceived and just judge ourselves based on the, the feelings that we have. And I think gratitude and gratefulness is kind of like world peace. It's this concept that has universal appeal, but endless obstacles to making it a reality. And just like there's always a major conflict or several somewhere in the world, which there are several in the world right now, there's always a significant reason that we can choose to be discontent. But we can also choose to have a mindset of gratefulness the way that we view world peace. And it's, it's a matter of saying, you know what, I'm not going to be able to bring world peace on some massive scale for everybody, but I can contribute to that. We can also have the mindset in the sense of saying, you know what, world peace is so improbable. It's just not worth working for. It's a lovely idea. It's wonderful. I'm all for that. But, the, but you know what? It's never going to be reality. So I'm just going to check out of it entirely. But this world, and more importantly, our transformation to be like Christ requires us to be intentional to cultivate gratefulness and gratitude and thankfulness in our lives. And that comes out in all kinds of ways, not just in the meals that we fix and the turkey and the dressing and the pumpkin pie and the dinner rolls and all those kinds of things on one day of the year, at least here in the States. It also comes out when we just stop and we send that text, we make a phone call, we write a note, we sit down with somebody and we just say, hey, I want to thank you for whatever in my life. Thank you for being there. It's also not just about expressing those kinds of um, sentiments to other people. It's about intentionally cultivating what we tell ourselves. We can go through life having all kinds of experiences and choosing to have a perspective of, yeah, whatever, okay. Or we can choose to say, I'm grateful for this. I'm thankful for this. You see, gratefulness, it's always more about transforming us than changing others. Gratitude and an attitude of entitlement can no more coexist than darkness and light can coexist. So while Jonah may not be the top person that you think about as you are having Thanksgiving today, or if you're listening to this on a day it's not Thanksgiving, remember, thanks. Giving isn't just for one day of the year, especially for us as Christ followers. It's 365 days of the year, and yes, the extra day when it's leap year. And so what we can choose to do is to have a different perspective and to see through God's lens and not end up being like Jonah, sitting up there complaining and griping about the things that we don't have and how God's not doing what we want him to do and we expect him to do, but rather that we can embrace his love, his mercy, 
his goodness to us. All right, my friend, I hope you have an amazing day whenever you are listening to this. And if you haven't already, hey, you've got to do this. You need to go to the website, stephaniepresents.com, and you need to sign up for the High Impact Newsletter. You can also get the free resource. It's a guide there, 10 W's to restoring a heart that's weary and anxious. Anybody got any weariness? Anybody got any anxiousness going on in their life right now? Yeah, because I don't think we're quite at that world peace place, right? Exactly. So you can also get that 10 practical insights of things that you can actually do to be intentional, to create a heart that is restored and a heart that's going to lead to more gratitude all the days of the year. All right. Remember this, my friend. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Go make the most of it. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.